Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you've got a Bible, I want you to take it out and put a marker in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I actually opened Ecclesiastes 3, put a marker in 1 Kings 19. We'll start in Ecclesiastes, we'll end in 1 Kings 19. And let me just say, we're continuing our series entitled Resilient, where we're going through the six major areas of our lives. And uh, these two weeks, this week and the next week, and we're going to be talking about, uh, for many of us, one of our less favorite of the six areas, and that is our emotions. And there was no Thursday service because of Thanksgiving, but I definitely got some vibes and experienced all the feels in the nine o'clock service in regards to our emotions. It is amazing to me how, how almost taboo this has become. And so we're, we're going to spend two weeks talking about it. And next week, let me just tell you, you know, I, I don't really do hype at all. Next week, I'm sharing something with you that is probably one of the most important things I will ever teach you. Okay. So if you're out of town, just make sure you go watch. Uh, It's really important as it relates to the the different revelations God's given me uh, so far in my life. This is probably, I put it in my top five. It's been something that's helped me immensely. So we're going to be talking about it next week. But this weekend, since it's week number one, uh, if you're new with us, at the beginning of each of the two weeks on each pillar, we take an assessment. And so maybe you were handed, you should have been handed this assessment on your way in. If you weren't, you can take a picture of the QR code on the screen and you can actually take the assessment online, which would be my preference. If you like old school and like to do it on paper, no problem. I just ask that you turn it in. Like I've been saying, every time we we do the assessments together, the reason we want you to turn them in, you don't even have to write your name on it. We're compiling as much of the data as we can so that we can be as scriptural as possible. Scripture says no the condition of your flock. COVID helped us understand as a church and as the capital C church, we don't know as well as we should. And we can't help as we should if we don't know where you are as we should. All right? It's been very eye-opening to take this together. So we're taking the emotional assessment. Uh, If you have a pen, you're doing it on paper. Go ahead and let's take this together. If you're doing it online, we're going to go through these all together. Number one, I have a consistently great attitude towards life. Remember, like I say in all of the assessments, if you're between two answers, take the lower of the two. That's the more honest answer. Okay? And if you have to spend time convincing yourself of a score, that's called a lie. Okay? Number two. I am honest with myself and a few significant others about the feelings, beliefs, doubts, and pains beneath the surface of my life. I got deep really fast, didn't I? I have a great attitude towards life. I go deep with people and do not lie. Number three, sitting alone in stillness and reflection with God is a peaceful process that gives me life. Number four, When anxious thoughts arise, I quickly bring them to God and exchange them for peace. Did I say five or four? Okay. Five. It's easy for me to identify what I'm feeling inside. This is a biggie. Number six. I am seldom depressed or low. Number seven, I feel in control of my emotions most of the time. We're going to talk about this in point number one. Number eight, I know what I need to fill my emotional tank and I take responsibility for keeping it full. Really important one. Number nine, my heart has fully healed from the wounds of my past. Number 10, it is easy for me to be honest about my weakness and brokenness. A little bit harder of an assessment than some of the others. Go ahead and tabulate your score. 
And then you can see how the scoring system works. If you would, just if you're doing this old school, just write out your score in the box. If you did it online, your score was calculated for you. And you can take a picture, you can screenshot that, and we get all the data if you did it online. And then next week, at the beginning of the message, we'll talk about where we are as a church emotionally. Okay? The title of this weekend's message stays in step with my week one of each of the pillars I've covered, and and that's this, the theology of emotions. Today, we're going to talk about the theology of our emotions. And here's where we must start if if we're going to cover this uh, appropriately and accurately theologically. Point number one, emotions are good. Emotions are not inherently bad. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one, for everything, for every single thing, there is a season, a time and a place for it, a time for activity, every activity under heaven. Verse four, there's a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. Emotions are good, and if we are going to be healthy emotionally, we can't just understand they're good, we have to make room for our emotions. Now I know for some of us, we were raised a little bit differently than that. Let me me help you understand something. So when we talk about healthy in each of the areas, each of the pillars of our lives, let's take the physical pillar. If you're to look at the scale of a physical pillar, you could see it like zero and 100. You know, there's a zero. If I'm at a certain place physically, I'm at a zero. And then I'm close to 100 if I'm really dialed in and exercising, dieting well, getting good rest. You know, so it's a scale like zero to 100. Emotions are not like that at all. It's not zero to 100. It's not bad or good. Here's what it's like. It's like there are two ends of the spectrum on the scale, and they're both extreme. And healthy emotionally looks like living in the center not on either of the edges, okay? And here are the two extremes. On one side, you have emotional suppression. And on the other side, you have emotional unrestraint. Both are extremes and a representation of unhealthy or what it looks like to be unhealthy emotionally. Living in the center of these. So not suppressing and also at the very same time, not being unrestrained in my emotions. So experiencing self-control doesn't mean I suppress. means I actually express my emotion, but under control, not under its control. So here's what this means. First, emotions are not meant to be suppressed. If that's the extreme, we have to understand emotions were never meant by God to be suppressed by man. I think sometimes in the church we look at people and I've experienced this because if you've been here at all, uh, every once in a while, I'll, I'll cry a tear in a sermon. And I'd, I never try and do it manipulatively. It's just, it's where I'm at. And then every once in a once in a while, I will cry a river. And I, I being completely transparent, I do every once in a while from certain types of people feel a little bit of judgment. Now I'm okay with it, Okay. But I, I can sense the judgment. Like, oh, that's so weak. Like, you know, some people appreciate it and then some people are like, you are so weak, bro. Okay? And, and here's what I would say. Look, we have to be really careful as it re- relates to the expression of emotion. It's almost like if some of us actually believe that people who don't show emotion are stronger than everybody else. Here's a one-liner if that's what you believe. Someone who doesn't show emotion isn't tougher than someone else. They are simply out of touch with themselves. That's why they don't show emotion. It's not because they're stronger. It's because they're out of touch. And here's what you have to understand. If that's how you handle emotion, you suppress it, you repress it. Suppressed emotion over time creates either emotional atrophy or emotional explosions, eruptions. Ever heard the phrase, real men don't cry? I forget the name of the movie, A League of Their Own, I think, where Tom Hanks says of women, there's no crying in baseball. I I really think there, in pockets, 
of our society, crying is deemed to be a very bad thing, a weak thing, an unhealthy thing, a dangerous thing. Well, let me just help you understand. This phrase, real men don't cry, is not biblical. Jesus himself, and I honestly think this is divine sarcasm, that the God of the universe intentionally made the single shortest verse in the Bible the verse it is to draw attention to it. He could have made it a full-on paragraph. I'll read it to you. John 11, verse 35. Many of us know the verse, but we just don't know where it is. Jesus wept. This could have been a divine run-on sentence by God. Jesus was feeling emotional that day, and when Lazarus, the death of Lazarus, he was confronted with it, he just began to weep bitterly, and he couldn't control. It could have been a run-on. It's not. Why? Because I think God wanted us all to know Jesus, being fully God and fully man, experienced heavy and deep emotion. This is not the only time he cried. Luke 19, Jesus is coming back down into Jerusalem and he's got a, a, a higher level view of them and he begins just to weep over Jerusalem. How can emotions be bad if Jesus experienced them? Now, I, there's an entire debate and I don't want to spend too much time in this message. There's an entire argument, I'd even say, theologically out there about whether or not God can show emotion. It's called the impassibility of God. Here's what I would say, where I kind of land on this, because one side of the argument is God cannot have emotion because God cannot change. If he can have fleeting emotions, then he can change. Here's what I would say. This is where I land. God doesn't have passions like man. Here's a passion. Passions reveal how man or woman feels. God doesn't have passions like mankind. God doesn't feel those things the way we feel them. I know the Bible uses anthropomorphism, which which literally at times describes God as though he were human. The reason that is the case is so we can better understand God as human. But remember, his ways are higher than our ways. So so when he experiences anger, for instance, it's not like when I feel anger. Okay, so he has not passions, he has affections. And here's how you describe God's affections. God's affections describe or, or reveal who he is, not what he feels. So when God experiences anger, he doesn't feel it the way that I do. He actually, many times in scripture, it's attached to who he is, judgment. He's the divine judge. And you see his anger is actually completely connected to judgment, not a fleeting emotion. But but here's what I would say. If we think that God does not like or appreciate emotion, here's what we will do. We will hide our emotions from God. And hopefully what you'll see in this message is that is not what God wants from you. That's one of my highest goals for you in this message, especially if you have difficulty uh, being honest about what you're feeling when you're spending time with the Lord. Let me talk for a minute about tears though. Okay, Jesus cried. Jesus was very in touch emotionally. Think about it. He was so in touch emotionally that on the cross, he wasn't just aware of where he was emotionally, he was aware of where everybody around him was. He's dying on the cross. He looks at his weeping, grieving mother, Think of, he's dying, and he says to John the Beloved, behold your mother, woman, behold your son. He's literally saying, take care of her. Do you see her? Take care of her. While he's dying, Jesus cried many times. If you think crying is bad, let me help you understand crying from a scientific perspective. Emotional toxins will affect your spiritual well-being. Science has shown that when we hold on to negative emotions and tears is the release of emotion. They're good tears, they're sad tears. We're going to talk about them both. When I cry sad tears, did you know that my body is letting go of stress hormones? You ever heard somebody say, you just need a good old-fashioned cry? 
they don't actually know what they're saying is very scientific. You need to release some stress hormones in a healthy way. Stop holding on to that stress. On the other side of that, ever heard the phrase happy tears? These aren't sad tears. These are happy tears. Did you know that when we cry, happy tears, when you cry happy tears, your body is producing endorphins. We talked about this during the physical pillar. Many call that the the endorphins, the feel-good hormone. So here's what I'd ask. When was the last time you cried? How long has it been? For Holly, the answer to the question would be the last time she saw a Hallmark movie. (laughs) She's not a crier. But I catch her being a little teary. I saw it last night. I wanted to watch the Bond movie, and we ended up watching a Hallmark movie. And they're skating in a fake skating rink, and he's skating backwards, and he falls. And 60 seconds ago, she was the best skater I've ever seen. And now all of a sudden, she's clumsy, and she falls right on top of him. And I I look over, and this is what I see. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I used to say out loud what I was thinking. I've learned better, though. I used to say things like this. That is the dumbest thing I have ever seen. Now, this is what I do. (laughs) But happy tears. They're not sad tears. Okay? Here's what we have to remember. Negative emotions don't go away. They simply get stored in our bodies. And at times, crying is one of the ways our bodies releases some of that buildup. Research has linked suppressed or repressed emotions to physical conditions like a weakened immune system, muscle tension and pain, nausea and digestive problems, fatigue and sleep problems. There are things God did not create us to carry as it relates to our emotions that we need to make sure we're not carrying. So we need to find a godly way to release those things. And that brings us to the second half of this. Emotions are not meant to be unrestrained. We don't want to go too far and go, well, if we're not to suppress our emotions, then let's just all let it flip. Let's just let it fly. If I'm feeling it, you're going to see it. Okay, that's the other side of the extreme, right? So let, let's talk about this. Intense emotions call for a timely and healthy outlet so they can be released appropriately. This is really important in a relationship. If you want me to take your emotions seriously, first and foremost, don't use them as weapons against me. Okay? But even beyond that, make sure if you want me to see what you're feeling as important, you need to make sure the way you express your emotion is appropriate. Right? Proverbs verse 14, chapter 14, verse 30 says it like this. A sound mind, now watch this juxtaposition scripturally. A sound mind makes for a robust or healthy body. But runaway emotions, the other, exi- other side of the extreme, runaway emotions corrode the bones. I'm pretty sure none of us wake up in the morning and go, you know what I'd like to have? The opposite of a sound mind. Give it to me, Jesus. We we want to be of sound mind, right? Proverbs says, Preston, the opposite of a sound mind is what runaway emotions do to your body. God's people were never created to be led by their emotions. They were created to be led by God. I can't have it both ways. What is a sound mind? A mind which is sound is a mind which can healthily process the emotions its heart feels. It's not about what I'm feeling. That's not what emotional health is. It's that I can process what I'm feeling. The feelings are going to come and go. and we're gonna, we, we all on a daily basis experience so many different feelings. The evidence of whether or not I'm emotionally healthy isn't what am I feeling. It's do I know what I'm feeling? And even more than that, do I know why? Runaway emotions mean emotions are running my life. 
Another way to say it, when my emotions are out of control, it means I am under their control. Not a healthy way to live my everyday life. Proverbs 29 verse 11 says it like this, a fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Ever been around somebody who said, well, I I just say it like it is. When I feel something, I just say it. Okay, I don't mean this the wrong way. I didn't write this. The Bible calls that foolish. And every once in a while, I like to to go old school KJV. Those of us who grew up in church, you ever like to every once in a while just go back old school King James Version? You know what I'm talking about? This verse is genius in the old school King James. Proverbs 29, 11, the KJV. A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. I think we should use both of those words for the rest of the day multiple times. Excuse me, why didst thou uttereth thy feelings in that way? A wise man, a wise woman, keeps it in. Why? So they can process it before they release it. Here's one of the things I've learned about me. An emotion I haven't processed personally with the Lord or with someone I trust can easily hurt someone when I just let it fly. I don't want that. doesn't mean I suppress my emotions. It means I have to be in a consistent rhythm of processing my emotions. If you're unrestrained emotionally, it doesn't mean you're out of control. It just means you've chosen not to be under control, which means you can choose to live a life of self-control. It's one of the the fruit of the spirit, right? Self-control. As that relates to our emotions, what does that mean? It doesn't mean someone who never has emotions. It means someone who can, in a healthy and godly way, process what they feel without it coming at the expense of the ones they love. Let me just say this. I want to say this as sweetly as I can to anybody who struggles in this area and and it's creating some relational angst. If you emotionally do whatever you want, whenever you want, relational intimacy is going to be difficult for you. It's never good to give ourselves whatever we want, whenever we want, and that includes emotionally. Remember, relationships are built on trust. And one of the ways to erode trust is to do whatever I want, whenever I want. How can I trust someone who always puts themselves ahead of me, their needs ahead of my needs? I don't feel safe. I matter and they matter. It's both and. It's not one or the other. And here's what I'd say. If you've created a marriage where you can say whatever you want and emotionally do whatever you want, whenever you want, don't be surprised if intimacy is difficult in your marriage. It doesn't mean you're bad. It just means the environment may not feel fully safe all the time. And anytime someone is in an environment where they don't always feel safe, they're not always going to let themselves fully be known. It's human nature. We protect ourselves from pain. Here's point number two. Emotional needs are meant to be met. Emotional needs are meant to be met. When God creates something, it automatically has needs. There is only one who has no needs. That's God. Everything created has needs. Let's prove it. Take your heart, for example. Your heart needs blood. What happens if your heart doesn't get blood? Bye-bye. Many of us learned, we didn't even know this during COVID, that the brain needs oxygen. What happens if my brain doesn't get oxygen? Bye-bye. When God creates something, it always has needs. Okay, who created emotions? Is it just something that happened? Like, did Adam just one day wake up on the wrong side of the bed and voila, we all have emotions? No, 
God created emotions. We are emotional beings, which means this. We were created to have emotional needs. And one of the things we're trying to do in this series is to help us all understand, I call it the seven-day survival guide. God created each of us to need certain things in all six of these areas of life every seven days. So when I did this deep dive years ago, one of the things I learned about my emotional needs, and you might think this is weird, it's just what I need, I learned one of the things I need every seven days, I need someone in my house to stop me. I have a habit. When I walk, I walk fast, and oftentimes my brain is not where my feet are. I'm thinking about seven other things somewhere else, and so I'm not present. I've learned emotionally one of the things I need is someone I love to stop me when I'm doing that. Just stop me. Get in my way. Hug me. But I, I've learned I don't just need a hug. I actually need him to hold me. What's holding? Just hug me for a little while. Just pull me close. And then just tell me you love me and give me one reason why. I don't understand why I was made this way, but for some reason, when somebody I love does that to me, I go through the, the roof in my heart. It's an emotional need that I have. It doesn't mean I need it every minute of every day. If I get it one time, it's like going to the gas station and getting an entire full tank just off that one hug and one I love you, and here's why, Daddy. God created me to need that. Okay, we are emotional beings, which means we have emotional needs. I'm going to make a statement that might stretch some of you, but we'll walk it out. I believe the number one emotional need of every human is to emotionally connect with God. Notice I did not say the number one need of every human is to emotionally connect with God. I get one of the knocks on the, the spirit-filled church is that there's too much emotion, that there's unrestrained emotion. I was telling Brad about this part of the message before the first service, and he said, you know, one of the reasons I think it's possible that the, the charismatic church is known for unrestrained emotion is because they're not very good at processing their emotions privately. I thought, I'm going to take that. I'm going to give you full credit for it. That's just filthy. But even though, if, if it's true that the charismatic church has been known for some time for being unrestrained emotionally, don't take that and run away from this truth. I believe God created every human to have the desire to emotionally connect with him. Well, Preston, where do you get that? Let's go back to the garden. Think about the different hats God wore in the garden. I grew up at Gateway, and so one of the ways they raised me is you have to wear a lot of different hats. So in some meetings, I was an associate pastor. In other meetings, I was sitting in an elders meeting. And other times, I was someone who'd been there for a long time. I wore lots of different hats at various times. Think about the different hats that God wore in the garden with Adam. God was Adam's creator. God was Adam's overseer. God was Adam's friend. How about this one? God was Adam's anesthesiologist. Probably haven't thought about that before. He put him under to rip his rib out. He was doctor too. And the doctor didn't explain what was about to go down. He's just like, trust me, it'll be worth it. But I'm about to rip a rib right out of your chest. But you're going to get woman. God was his anesthesiologist. Put him under. Okay, let me make another statement about a hat God wore with Adam. I believe God was Adam's psychologist. Preston, where in the world are you getting that? The very first question God asked that is recorded in Scripture. The first question in the Bible is asked by the serpent. Did God really say? He reveals his playbook with us. He's going to constantly try and get us to question what God says. Jesus said, my sheep hear and know my voice. But the first question God asks, he says to Adam in Genesis 3 verse 9, where are you? Where are you? And I don't think this was a locational question. If you've been here before and heard me taught this, hear me teach this, 
You can't convince me this was a locational question. Here's why. God knows everything and is everywhere. It's literally impossible for God to be in the garden, be walking around and go, shoot. This is the first time this has ever happened. Adam, I have no idea where you are right now, bro. Where are you? It's impossible. God is everywhere and knows everything. You cannot convince me. God was asking a locational question. With all my heart, I believe it was an emotional question. And I actually believe this wasn't the first time that Adam had probably heard God ask this question. Adam, where are you? Watch how he answers. Because I think Adam knew this was not a locational question. If it was a locational question, Adam would have said, over here. But he doesn't. Look what he says in verse 10. I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. He answers emotionally. I was afraid because I was naked. Here's why I was afraid. And then he gets to, that's why I hid. There is so much in this two verse passage. When was the last time you answered this question? Emotionally, where are you? Where are you right now? You know, one of the things we learned during COVID is that the capital C church is filled with spiritually found, but emotionally lost people. I once was lost, but now I'm found spiritually. What's the definition of an emotionally lost person? Someone who doesn't know where they are. Let me give you a one-liner for this one. It's literally impossible to be spiritually mature and emotionally immature simultaneously. You can't be both. I assure you. If I had a dollar for every time someone trying to represent themselves with me in this church as spiritually mature, but did so in an unbelievably emotionally immature way, you can't be both. Look at David. Look at Jesus. Wonderful examples of emotionally healthy individuals. Not perfect. David was not perfect. Jesus was. David wasn't. David processed and went through God's process. One of the greatest revelations I've gotten in my personal relationship with the Lord is when I got a revelation that God wanted me to have an emotionally robust relationship with him. It blew my mind. Let me show you two passages. Psalm 62, verse eight. David says, trust in God at all times, you people. Pour out your heart literally means to just let it all out. To let your insides out is the word picture attached to this word in the original language. To let my insides outside. Because God is a refuge for us. When you spend your time alone with the Lord, what percentage of the time do you spend being honest about what you're feeling emotionally? God looked at David and he said, this is a guy after my own heart. This right here, I like this right here. I can work with this. Think about it. David wrote nearly half of the Psalms. You know how emotive his Psalms are? The Psalms that King David wrote are literally a voyeuristic look into the emotional journal of King David. And God still looks at him and goes, God does not say, Psh, that is annoying. That is an emotive human being right there. No, God says, I love it. And David says in Psalm 139, I'm complex. I was made wonderfully complex. How well I know it. The two of them talked a lot about where he was at. Let me show you one more verse. My favorite verse in the New Testament, Matthew 6, verse 6, but I want to read it to you out of the message, which I don't typically do. Jesus is teaching on prayer, okay? 
the secret place. One of my favorite revelations the Lord has given me, but I hadn't read it out of the message in a long time. Listen to what it says. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to personalize it. Preston, find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there, Preston, as simply and honestly as you can manage. Are you kidding me? This is what Jesus teaches? Here's another way to say it. One of my daddy's favorite things is that when we spend time together, that I'm honest about where I'm at emotionally. Here's another way to say that. He cares about what I'm feeling. This is why this argument about whether or not God has emotions, which isn't even the real argument to me. The real argument is, does God actually care about emotions? Because I think it's been so twisted by a, a portion of theologians to make it sound like God doesn't care. He absolutely cares about what you're feeling, about what I'm feeling. He was the one who created my emotions and the needs that go with them. So let me just remind you, I don't necessarily think it's wisdom to look at something God created and called very good and say it's very bad. If you're someone who says, I hate to cry. Remember what God said after creating man. The other days, he inspected everything he'd created that day, and what did he say? It's good. After man, what does he say? Very good. He inspects every part of Adam. Think about it. That means he inspected the tear ducts and looked at them and went, really good right there. Love a good cry, Preston. I love happy tears. I even love your sad tears. I'm present for both. I really hope you understand you're an emotional being, which means God created you to have emotional needs. This brings us to point number three. Emotions are terrible masters. Emotions are terrible masters. I've already said this. God created his people to be led by him, not by our emotion. Emotions make terrible masters. When, when a child is young, a couple years old, and they're feeling things they don't know how to express. They don't have the vocabulary to, to express. What do they do? They throw a tantrum, right? I mean, think about it. Here, here, when we're babies, here's how poorly we, we know how to express what we feel. When we're hungry, we gripe about it. We cry and scream. Never a good way to get what you want. When, when I'm hoping for a little love time with my wife, I learned early on, never a good thing to walk in and go, good God, woman, and just be angry. Daddy's not getting any love. Okay, as babies, we don't know how to process what we feel. So baby throws a tantrum. Let me, let me give you a little phrase that, that we give children when they're experiencing something that they don't know how to express. Feelings are not the boss of me. Remember as children, sometimes we would say, you're not the boss of me. You maybe heard a child say that. Okay. That statement especially applies to feelings. You're not the boss of me. Here's another way to say it. Just because I feel it doesn't mean I have to give in or succumb to it. I can feel it without being overrun by it. First Kings 19, if you put a marker there, go ahead and, and open up there. We're going to read it together. And while you're turning there, I'll set it up. This is one of my favorite moments in Elijah's life. Here's the prophet of God, the mighty man of God. He's just experienced one of the biggest grand slam home runs of his ministerial career. It was the showdown on Mount Carmel. He gets into a back and forth with the prophets of Asherah and Baal, 850 prophets against him. 
okay? And, and they get into this spiritual tete-a-tete and, the, and they say, hey, we'll know the one true God based on whoever's God sends fire down from heaven. So Elijah lets them go first. And so they, they build their altars, they have the wood and, and their gods aren't doing anything. And Elijah apparently was feeling his oats. So he starts kind of taunting the other team. He goes, maybe your gods are in the bathroom right now and they can't take a call. He had to be feeling, feeling pretty good, pretty strong. Okay, that's the point. Then it's his turn and he goes, this is how strong he was feeling and how confident it is God, but how strong he was feeling. He goes, hey, somebody go get me some water. Dump it on the wood. Because when fire comes down from heaven and destroys this wood, I just want to rub it in all of your faces. My God is the one true God. Okay, he's feeling really strong. Fire comes down from heaven, gone. Then he kills the 850 prophets. Again, got to be feeling pretty strong. Take it out 850 people. And then Queen Jezebel gets word, threatens his life and says, if I don't do to you what you did to them, somebody kill me because I deserve to die. I'm going to kill you by the end of the day. And one of my favorite parts about this story is we see, we're taught a lesson in scripture that even some of the most spiritually strong believers in the one true God get overwhelmed emotionally from time to time. Elijah goes on the run. And we pick up in 1 Kings 19, verse 4. But he himself, Elijah, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. This is the same man of God who had just prayed down fire from heaven. Don't take this the wrong way or, or judge me for this, but if I called down fire from heaven in a showdown like that, I might have a touch of swagger on the stage. You know what I mean? The man of God who called down fire is now calling out to God to kill him. He prayed that he might die and said, this is enough. In other words, I can't handle this anymore. Now, Lord, take my life. Kill me, for I'm no better than my father's. How do I know that I'm enslaved to an emotion that I feel? Here's one of the answers. When I become irrational, not just irritated. This was irrational. The man of God who just called down fire from heaven is now calling on God to kill him. It was irrational. Keep going. Verse 9. Now he goes into a cave and he spends the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And God says to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Talk about another great question. God asks Adam, where are you? God asks Elijah, what are you doing here? How, how, how did you get here? How did it come to this after that? Listen to what he says in response. Verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. I'm all by myself, God. Incidentally, that's how out-of-control emotion talks. I am all by myself. There is no one else here for me. But look in verse 18. God says to him, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Here's what this means. When Elijah said to God, I'm the only one left. I'm all by myself. So just kill me. God says, that's not a fact. That's not true. Let me bring the light of truth into your life. I've got 7,000 others who have not worshiped Baal. Not only are you not alone, it's 7,000 times better than you're making it sound. When I'm enslaved to an emotion, what I feel is no longer based on fact. Feelings aren't 
facts. It's just what I feel. But if I don't take the time to dig around as to why I'm feeling it, here's what I believe is true about the human condition. If I don't dig around and figure out why I feel it, I will end up turning my feelings into facts. And this is how Elijah nearly committed suicide. It wasn't even true. I've told the story years ago uh, when I was battling fear. I wasn't just battling, I believe, a spirit of fear. I was battling being overwhelmed by the emotion of fear. It would come in waves. It was very scary at times. And I'd never experienced anything like it. And for the better part of two years, the way I decided I would get through it was to, to tell no one about it. We're going to talk about that next week, how foolish that is. But as I was praying about this message particularly, I felt the Lord give me a burden about a, a very specific type of person. And he took me back to when I felt overrun and overwhelmed by fear. And I didn't know how to break through. So I want every head to be bowed and every pair of eyes closed. And we're just going to take a minute before we wrap up to do a little bit of spiritual and emotional heavy lifting. If you're here or watching this online and you'd say, I feel like I'm being completely overrun and overwhelmed by one particular emotion and I don't want to live like this anymore. With every head bowed, every pair of eyes closed, if that's you, would you just stand? Just stand. And don't be bashful. Somebody in the last service shot up like a rocket and I about jumped off the stage and went and tackled them. If you don't want to live like this anymore, then don't dance with it seated. Step on its neck by standing. Who else? I'm being overrun, maybe by depression, sadness, anxiety, stress, loneliness, fear. And I don't want to live like this anymore. I know God did not create me to live like this. Who else? I know this isn't it. Standing doesn't make you weak. Staying seated when you know you need to stand does. I love it. Savages. Okay, anybody else? All right. Everybody that's standing, I want you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. And those of you who are seated, I want you to very respectfully just open your eyes. And if there's someone around you that is close enough to reach, I want you just to put your hand on their shoulder. If you can't reach somebody, I want you to extend your hands toward them. And we are going to spend a couple of minutes praying over our family. And I want you to remember back to a time when you were overrun and overwhelmed by a particular emotion that was kicking your tail. And the enemy was using it to run rampant in your life. I want you to remember what it felt like and I want you, let, I want you to let that feeling that you once felt be part of your motivation to pray the hottest prayer you have ever prayed over somebody in your life. Come on, begin to just pray out loud over him. What the enemy is doing with this one emotion to them is not kind and nice or sweet. So you don't need to pray all quiet, silent prayers. You can just begin to pray out loud over them. You don't need to know what the emotion is. You don't need to know what the enemy is doing with it. I've got some people who've never admitted before they were struggling with this and they just stood up in the presence of the Lord. 
This is going to be a defining moment. Intercede for them. Let them know they're not alone. Let the 7,000 be accounted for sitting with Elijah under the broom tree. Spirit of the living God, thank you for every person standing in this room and for every person standing wherever they're watching online. God, thank you for giving them emotions, creating them with emotional needs. But Lord, they're standing courageously to say, there's a particular emotion the enemy is trying to use to take over my life. And I don't want to live like that. God, I pray right now in this moment, you would be who you are, the God who breaks through. You would break through on their behalf right now. Lord, I pray where there's been anxiety, I pray you would tear it down in Jesus' name. I pray that the peace of God would just become, it just running rampant in every part of their lives. God, where fear has been running rampant and the enemy has been pounding them with it. I pray for strength and courage that could only come from the God of the universe who has all power. Lord, I pray for those who are battling anger or rage. I pray you put their arm, your arm around them right now in this moment. And whatever is deep down causing that to come out the way that it is, God, I pray you would take your hand and you would put it on that hurting part of their heart. Spirit of God, would you heal it? Would you supernaturally heal it? God, I pray whatever emotions are represented by those standing, I pray you would come in the opposite spirit compared to the way the enemy has. That you would heal and not wound. That you would embrace and not attack. That you would cover and not expose. God, thank you for being so perfectly trustworthy with every part of our lives, but especially the really sensitive parts. God, I pray for breakthrough today today and whatever is needed to go forward and build on this moment. God, I pray this isn't just a quote unquote emotional moment. I pray this would be a supernatural moment that affects their children's children's children. I pray things would be broken off today that their children's children's children never even have to experience in Jesus mighty name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.